As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to The Athletic MBA Show. Monday through on The Athletic Podcast Network. From the Golden Gate to the New York Bay. What I have access to is a bit different than the public. Tamper with you, Welcome to Tampering. We're this beautiful game of basketball that we all love and talk about every single day. With Sam King, Anthony Slater, uh-huh. and Fred Katz. To be able to bring people together. What do you do, baby? Reportedly at the center of an NBA investigation. Into tampering accusations. And the message to executives in the league is not talking about players on other teams. What did I do? And the charges filed. Impermissible contact. Is right or wrong? Tampering charges are really difficult to prove. You know me, I talk. <laughs> <laughs> Even talk about. I can't even mention Dean's anymore. Actually, what I like to play with Kevin Durant. The trial, you're one with Kevin Durant. They're always ahead of the rules. It's not rocket science. I didn't tamper with the guys. I didn't tamper. I'm just telling you what happened. Here's your host, Sam Amick. Hello, and welcome to the Tampering Podcast, part of the Athletic NBA Show Network. I'm Sam Amick, NBA national writer at The Athletic, here in a 1v1 pod with Mr. Anthony Slater. My playoff cohort, haven't seen in a minute with the Warriors bowing out, but we are forging on. We got ourselves an NBA Finals matchup, Mr. Slater. The Denver Nuggets, top seed in the West. You know, should have been the favorite all the way through, except that nobody actually respected what they were doing, and they are having a a nice little victory lap in that regard against the Heat culture, Miami Heat, Jimmy Butler. Oh, hold on. One versus eight. As the finals, how about that? One eight. Recency bias is real, Slater. But you know, where does this kind of stand for you when it comes to just the uniqueness of this series? When you've got the sweep on the other side, and the way that Denver made quick work of the Lakers, and then you've got the you know presumed sweep in the East, and we thought we all were going to be you know just waiting for a week plus for the finals matchup, and the, and the Celtics come roaring back. On the ve- on the uh, the edge of making history, can't get that job done, and and just absolutely uh, blank the bed, if you will, in Game Seven and lose big. Uh, but the contrast there makes for a, a pretty kind of janky Finals rhythm, if you will. How do you see it? Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure there's like a perfect doppelganger of a series, right? That I can remember. I mean, I think we all. Um, try to remember our past. You know, the series I understand from an adept level most are the ones I've covered over the years. And um, 
the one that somewhat feels a little reminiscent to me was remember the young Thunder going down 2-0 to the that great Spurs team, right? They go to San Antonio, lose two straight, and you felt like they're overwhelmed. Not yep. their time. And then yep. they rattle off four straight. I mean, that's one of the series that felt like in the middle of it completely flipped. But, that, I mean, that's obviously not the same because you went three on one side, three on the other. And then the team that won the first three won after a back-breaking game six and, you know, lost. You think they got to go on the road. And if we're if we're going back to series I've covered as, as um, I guess, uh, reference points, that game six that they lost, you know, obviously with the Derek White tipping at the buzzer from a just emotional uh, standpoint, felt a little bit like when the Thunder lost game six to the Warriors, right? You know, they had a chance to close at home, beat the beat the favorite, the 73-win Warriors. Clay Thompson, you know, throws daggers in their heart in the fourth quarter. And you you were at the arena that night in Oklahoma City. When you're leaving there and you're making the flight back to the Bay Area, no part of you is thinking like, the Thunder's going to recover here and win game seven, right? It just felt over. And it proved to be over. Steph Curry goes, win, you know, has a right. good game seven. Warriors go on to the finals. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I'm not covering this series, and I know you're not on the ground covering the series. You covered the West Finals, but I didn't think the Heat were going to be able to recover from this. And they did. Yeah. Not only to sneak one out, they blew out the Celtics. They blew out the Celtics. I mean, listen, there's a lot of layers to it, like always. The Celtics offense, you know, obviously hat tip and, and give your flowers to the Heat defense, but the Celtics offense is tough to watch. You know, it's the same problem they've had for so many years. There have been times when – when they find that ball movement without the conventional point guard and they find a way to maximize the Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown combo with the pieces around them, they lost that here. They're over 10 from three in the first quarter. I actually chuckled when Shaq post game talked about how if his team was over 10 in the first quarter from three, that he'd be, you know, talking to every one of his teammates saying, if you shoot another three, I'm going to punch you in the face. Now that's hyperbole, but there is truth in what he said, which is that, the Celtics continued to live and die by the three late in the series, you know, like they had early and they'd gotten away from that in the middle. Um, but, but it was a weird one. And, you know, I, I, I do want to get your opinion because this is fresh and topical on East conference finals MVP. Like you said, I'm not covering it up close. Certainly watched every minute of the action. Um, you know, I, I can imagine being a voter and I have not seen the individualized, Voting just yet. It in was fact, five four. Jimmy Butler. It was five four. Let me get it then. I got to see who went what direction. Oh, wow. Bottom line, call, I can call out see. voters. Yeah, I mean it's, it's all right. We're not calling them out. Both, both guys are a good vote. I just think you know I voted like the West Finals was easy. You know, for me anyway, there was like a, a mild temptation to give Jamal Murray his love, but Nikola Jokic was fantastic. You had to vote Jokic. That was an easy call. Jimmy Butler is you know the heart of the heat. And it's one of those things where even if the stats don't, you know, kind of, you know, add up when it comes to comparing Jimmy to Caleb Martin, then, you know, you got to look at the heat and say, who are we kidding? Who would, you know, where would they be without Jimmy? He, you know, he shows out in game seven, has a good game. You know, Caleb has an even better game, 11 of 16 from the field, 10 boards, three assists, plus 14, uh, 26 points. You know, Jimmy had 28 points, Seven boards, six assists, and plus 11 was 12 of 28. If you look at the series, uh, again, just diving into the numbers a little bit, my God, I mean, Caleb shoots 58.3% overall, 46.2 from three on high volume, 6.5 threes per game. 
and then gives you 5.8 assists as well. Uh, Jimmy, 24.2 points, so six more points a game. But his percentage is efficiency way down, 41.7 overall, 31.3 from three, and uh, 84.5 from the line. So not a bad pick there. Uh, I am going to look the votes up here in a second, but how did you see that? I just don't know why we have West Finals, East Finals MVPs all of a sudden. I mean, it's just weird. you're just you just got a Euro step the whole question, huh? Well, I just I don't know. I mean, um, I just the Heat are only there. They're only in this position. They're only where they are because of what Jimmy Butler has been in the playoffs. I guess right. you're not supposed. I mean, we're making all these different rules now, and now because we we have this East Finals MVP or only supposed to worry about games one through seven of this series. Do we do we care what Jimmy Butler did earlier in this playoffs? Is it an East playoffs MVP? Does no, that- it's just this series. Just this series. Which, like, why? I just like this award. All right, fine. But for the sake of discussion. Okay. All right. You know. No, okay. So, so last West Finals, it was 4-1 Warriors over Mavericks. Andrew Wiggins was excellent defending Luka Doncic in that series. You covered it, you remember, and scored well. You remember that poster dunk he had on Luka? You could make an argument he he could have been the West Finals MVP over Steph Curry, but the vote went to Steph Curry because it was like they're here because of Steph Curry. They you know, they are who they are because of Steph Curry. Wiggins maybe from a point total perspective on any given night could be the same, but everything operates because of Steph Curry. That is the the orbit of the entire franchise. He's the obvious MVP of this team. He's the MVP of the series. He wins MVP. I feel similarly with Jimmy Butler. Caleb Martin had an excellent series. Um, the way he defended on the wing, in a lot of ways, played outplayed Jalen Brown, you could say, who's supposed to be right, you know, like a, an all NBA guy on the other side, scored it, shot it well, made a lot of money. They were even referencing that on the broadcast, right? Like cha ching for Caleb Martin. Yep. But, but Jimmy Butler is the Heat. They won this series because of who he has transformed them into. So I personally would have voted Jimmy Butler. Yeah, I think I'm with you. Uh, that breakdown, and, and again, this there's no shade here, so I'm going to go ahead and pull the curtain back and share all of the votes. Our Joe Barden, fellow national writer, voted for Caleb Barden. Uh, Gary Washburn of the Boston Globe, also Caleb Barden. John Schumann, NBA.com, Caleb Barden. Tim Reynolds of the AP, Caleb Barden. Uh, that's the, so that's the four. And then Tim Montemps of ESPN, Doris Bark, ESPN, Reggie Miller, TNT. These are all Jimmy Butler, uh, Ben Robach, Yahoo Sports, and Ira Winderman, longtime Heat beat writer for the Sun Sentinel, Jimmy Butler. So, you know, tight race there. Um, listen, the Heat are, you know, this is my last thought on that front, and I would love to, to kind of flip it over to the Celtics a little bit. The one memory that admittedly is just kind of, I'm subjective because I lived it, that I just kept coming back during this heat run, I think we might have hit on this in an earlier pod, but was the whole Jimmy Butler telling me when they were two and five that they were going to win the effing championship. Like that spirit back then when he was in Sacramento in that visitor locker room and and I looked at him like he was crazy because he was talking wild when they were down, you know, two and five and had a bad start to the year. I certainly didn't see it. They looked really thin. They go on to lose Tyler Hero and, and be even more thin over the course of time. No, this is uh, this is to me, you know, I'm just stream of consciousness here reminds me as far as like a team kind of, you know, hitting above its weight. Um, you know, the Sixers with Allen Iverson had this kind of spirit, but that's, you know, the, probably the best comparison I can think of. They're going to be massive underdogs in this finals against the Nuggets. 
but give them their, their hey, love. I mean, the, six, the fact that they're here is crazy. Yeah, Sixers were the one seed that year. You know, they were definitely overmatched in the finals. Um, and that's kind of how they're remembered, right, as the little plucky underdog. But, like, they were the best defensive team in the Eastern Conference. They were the one seed that year. That's what's crazy about this Heat team. I mean, I know other people have referenced it, but they not only lose the first play-in game to Atlanta, but they're trailing in the second half to Chicago. You know, their season nearly ends at the hands of the Chicago Bulls in a play-in. Right. And it turns into this, which doesn't have really a historical comparison. You know, the, the Knicks back in that lockout year, I think a 99. 99, yeah. Seven. So the Knicks in 99 were the eighth seed. They lose to the Spurs in five in 99. Uh, this is, you know, so the, the Heat of essentially, you know, they're now neck and neck with that Knicks team as making history. You want to know the recent one that I remember that was surprising was actually the Heat in the bubble. Or so they were a five seed and like. Sure. I mean, obviously, because Jimmy Butler's the leader and, you know, like that's the, you know, most obvious comparison of a recent finalist. How about also 2011, the Mavericks, they were a three seed, but they, I remember going in the playoffs, like a lot of people were picking the Blazers to beat them in the first round. I think it was the Blazers. Um, and they really surprised a lot of people and continue to move on and then won the title. Well, and, and again, similar because they also won the title. If the Heat are looking for motivation, there's that legendary Rockets team in, in 95. Uh, they beat the Magic. They sweep the Magic. They were a six seed that year. So uh, this is this is not what we thought because it's not just any eight seed. This is an Eastern Conference that had Milwaukee, that had Philly, that had Boston. Uh, th- th- these were the Titans of the league. But, uh, yeah, they have a chance if they won the title to go through Milwaukee, the one seed, Boston, the two seed, and then Denver, the one seed in the West. Right. I mean, that would be an insane path. Right. And also, I know you, I mean, you were setting it up a little bit like this overmatched, tired Heat team going into the finals, which I think is a fair way to look at it. But also, like, you know, how overmatched did you think the Heat were against the Bucks? How overmatched did you think the Heat were against the Celtics? Like, should they be underrated going into these finals? Probably not. Uh, probably not at all. You know what I mean? Like there's something about, you know, it's cliche. We repeat myself from last week that heat culture is, is become something that makes people roll their eyes, but, uh, it, they've been getting it done and it's fun to watch. Let's, before we, we spin it to heat nuggets, can we get a few of your thoughts on the Celtics? Because you were there a year ago in Boston when, you know, they were up in those finals and they were looking like they were on their way to winning a title and finally solving, or not solving, but like maximizing the Brown and Tatum era. Winning you know, a title. Oh, I mean, they were going to win a title. Should have right. won a title. Right. And now, so here Jalen Brown is on the verge of a possible free agency type decisions, awaiting to see if he gets a Supermax extension from the Celtics. You know, years-long rumblings about whether or not he wants to continue in Boston and the idea that, that maybe if they did not win the whole thing, that he would be ready to, to go be his own man somewhere else. That has been the consistent intel when it comes to Jalen. Um, you know, I, I don't think this is it for him in Boston because I think he probably does get that super max that keeps him around. But my goodness, uh, you talk about a tough finale, eight of 23 from the field, one of nine from three, 19 points, uh, minus 17, eight boards, five assists, you know, Tatum, not much better. Five of 13 overall, you know, combined, uh, two of 13 from three between those two guys. Just a, a terrible, terrible finish for that tandem. 
The Boston Garden uh, is maybe the best playoff environment I've been in during those finals last year. I mean, it's right up there in like the pantheon of these like roaring buildings. I think we've both been in, right? Uh, Oklahoma City, old school Oracle, uh, San Antonio back in the day, Utah when it's at its fiercest, Memphis, you know, a good playoff atmosphere. Boston, as loud, as raucous, as you would think tough to win a road game in as any. How many big road wins have been taken from them in the last few playoffs. I, I people have the record out there, but I think they've like they're like under 500 at home in like the yeah, last two playoffs. They're around they're really good on the road, but yeah, it's the elimination game thing had been what had kept them afloat that obviously didn't bear out today, but you're right, they haven't been great at home. And I do wonder, you know, uh Vinny Goodwill, our, our friend and colleague from Yahoo Sports had tweeted after the game this this kind of I thought resonated that when the Celtics were down three nothing, we in the media had questions about Joe Missoula um, because they fell in Game Seven. He said we have questions about Jalen Brown, you know. And I do think, from a spotlight standpoint, uh, it is interesting, and it's probably not that binary, but it is interesting how it shifts. You know, Joe post game he doesn't really, and he's young. I get it. He doesn't help himself with the optics of some of his media stuff. Uh, you know, he was asked post game if they needed to be less reliant on threes and gave a, a, a fairly terse no, as if that was a an absurd, you know, proposition. Uh, and he was obviously just frustrated, not in a great headspace to be breaking everything down. But, um, you know, when, you know, I guess when it comes to the old fashioned blame game, how do you see uh, the, the breakdown for Boston? Yeah. I mean, I think that you saw it in the finals last year. They, Tatum and Brown are not crisp ball handlers. And I think Tatum, in the last three games of the finals last year, the th- all three losses, right? They're up 2-1. They lose the final three. I think he had 15 turnovers combined in the last three games. He went 6 of 18 in the game six. Um, and he was kind of the GOAT. You remember, like J- Jalen Brown had a really good finals last year. Remember, like really tough for them to oh, cover. Yeah. They had to like switch Draymond yeah. onto him. Um, but even through that, I think part of the way that uh, – the Warriors um, beat the Celtics was really attacking the dribble and attacking with pressure Brown and Tatum because those are their two lead scorers, lead playmakers, guys you want the ball in their hands, and they're sloppy. You know, they, they turn the ball over a bunch. We see it a bunch with Tatum and Brown. Would you say eight turnovers tonight? Like just kind of dribbling it away. At yeah, key no, I didn't say it, but that's uh, certainly worth mentioning. Eight turnovers, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's huge. <laughs> um, and by the way, uh, super producer Andrew Select adding in that they're Celtics five and six at home in the playoffs. Yeah, that's great. That's almost made the, the oh, six the and finals. Six. six and six. So um, I'm not a I'm not in the camp of like oh something is fatally wrong. You have to break up Tatum and Brown. I think. I still kind of think they were the most talented roster. If they got through, I might have picked them against the Nuggets, uh, although it would have been really tough because they went seven, Nuggets are resting. But uh, I think they're you know, very well built, but I do think that one of their flaws is like a lack of like kind of the ball control point guard. Maybe this Malcolm Brogdon injury, you know, if, if he doesn't have it, maybe they advance. I don't know. Uh, I thought that was a great trade in the offseason. And, you know, he won six men of the year, so it kind of worked. He was just hurt at the wrong time. Um, but I wouldn't – like, they have flaws in their game that may, maybe that means they don't ever win a title, but I don't think 
they're disqualified. Like we should think they can never win a title together because if Steph Curry doesn't go nuclear in game four last year and have this historic performance, they win the NBA championship last year. So I, I think they're right on the doorstep and like maybe make some tweaks around the edges, but I'd keep the core together. Yeah, and no, I hear you. And, and briefly to, to clean up those numbers from before that Andrew shared. So it was uh, five and six this year, six and six last year. So, um, you know, around 500 for the two years. And I think my only thing on the Celtics front that we've seen time and again is just the kind of the scar tissue that gets built up uh, when it comes to falling short. And there's that fine line between, you know, kind of going the, the the old, you know, the Michael Jordan Bulls and how they had to get through the Pistons and had to, to fight through, fight through, and then they eventually break through. That's a progression that we've seen. Uh, with Boston, Jalen has been there since 2016, I believe. You know, Jason, the year after, um, that's when you just start looking at it and wondering if they want to remain together. And I'm curious because you do hear a lot of stuff about where Jalen's head is at. So we'll see what happens with Boston. Well, by the way, they they both made All-NBA this year. They're both right, super max eligible. Um, I mean, that's a particularly a conversation with Jalen Brown, right? Just the expensiveness of what's That's the thing, though. I mean, I know we can't get too caught up in one game, but – you know, if if you're Wick Grousebeck and that ownership group, uh, it, it, you sure wish that you weren't handing Jalen Brown a supermax on the heels of an eight turnover dud in Game Seven of the East Finals. And that's where you know I've talked to people within the league recently about the holistic question of is Jalen Brown a supermax player, and you you get differing opinions. Uh, you know, and that's what we're going to have to wait and see how Boston sees it. Uh, how do you see the series? Uh, we got the Nuggets have been. I keep laughing because I look at my email and it's got, you know, kudos to the NBA. They've continued to try to provide Denver Nuggets media access during this downtime and this this period of of kind of delay. And so it's like combination of Zoom links and in-person press conferences where, you know, okay, today it's Michael Malone talking and Contavious Caldwell Pope and Aaron Gordon and all these different guys. They've just been spinning their wheels media-wise trying to talk about a hypothetical matchup and and reflect on their journey a little bit, but now they know who they're playing and it's a heat team that, you know, again, regardless of what Jimmy and company have done to get here, you know, if you're a nuggets team that is trying to win the franchise's first championship, uh, you know, this is as about as good a opponent as you're going to find. It's just all there is to it. So uh, you could argue there's some pressure on them. And I think that's true. They have home court, uh, they've been playing phenomenally at home. Nikola Jokic has been the best player in the playoffs. Uh, Matchup-wise, let's start there. How do you see it? You know, it's going to be Jokic versus Bam Adebayo, who spends a lot of time with good reason, feeling as if he does not get enough respect for being, you know, he thinks he's the best defender in the NBA. That is how he wakes up in the morning. Guards five positions, uh, you know, and is a force on that end. Uh, so that I think is a fascinating matchup. It, to me, it starts there and we can build it out from there. But how do you see it? Yeah, he gets the big stage. Um, I remember he was kind of a disappointment in the finals in the oh, bubble. Yep. Um, and he had had a really good East finals. And correct me if I'm wrong. Remember, he didn't he enter the finals a little hobbled? Uh, I got to look that up. I seem to remember he was banged up. Goran Dragic, Dragic, who was really big for the Heat in the bubble, like East playoffs, had like plantar fasciitis or something with his foot. I just remember the Heat. By the time the Heat got there, they were no match really for the Lakers physically. Um, 
but you know, Bam's healthy this time around. I I didn't think he had a particularly good East Finals. Um, I do think he. So Bam missed game two. Sorry to interrupt. Uh, yeah, Goran missed game two uh, with left shoulder injury for Bam, and Goran was uh, was a left play. Yeah, plantar fascia, uh, fascia. So you're right. Yeah, there was. There was. Yeah, they were just they were banged up. Um, Bam is has been, I think, a disappointment offensively. Um, really not just these playoffs like this season. Um, he just, you know, he doesn't have, um, you know, a, a full, you know, really like kind of like devastating number two score type package. Um, but you know, I, I he is, he's, what would you say? A top 10 defender in the league? Probably the versatility is what makes him so good, right? The fact that he can switch one through five, as you mentioned, he can get out on the perimeter. He can, he can do a lot of things. This will test him as like a one-on-one guy. Right. Um, against a guy that's bigger than him. I don't know exactly the size difference, but Jokic, six, Jokic nine. has... Yeah. yeah, Bam is 6'9", 255. Jokic is... Uh, we don't know the weight. Uh, I don't know if they're claiming... Although he's slimmed down quite a bit. I mean... I mean, Jokic, Jokic is bigger than him, right? Yeah, he's so, bigger. I mean, this will test Bam in that sense. Um, he, I mean, like... The Heat seem a little thin beyond Bam. I mean, are we going to see old school Kevin Love down there, like kind of trying to bang a little bit? I mean, I th- the Heat's rotation really shifted during this series, right? I mean, like suddenly you're seeing Haywood Highsmith, Kevin Love's getting buried, Kyle Lowry's like, you know, seeing his minutes kind of minimized a, a little bit more, although he was pretty good in game seven. Uh, you know, they're going to need a Caleb Martin type series that, that, you know, again, times two. Gabe Vincent's been really good. They're going to need random contributions from random places, um, but they've got it to this point. So, I mean, they have, but in, you kind of alluded to it there. If I'm Eric Spolstra, you know, who you could argue is, is the absolute coaching wizard of these playoffs, um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a little, I'm losing a little sleep over my roster in this matchup. Because if we, you know, we saw that Lakers series that the Lakers defense was at its best when, forget if it, I don't care if it's Rui Hachimura, Vanderbilt, whoever, put somebody else on Jokic and Anthony Davis could be help side, free safety defender. And that is what made life tough on Jokic. The problem for the Heat is that that guy does not exist. You know, Bam led them, or has led them in these playoffs uh, on the glass to give you context, 9.2 boards uh, so far per game for Bam. In terms of bigs, I mean, Jimmy Butler second and rebounding on the heat in the playoffs, Kevin Love third. Like, they do not have uh, any sort of size and length. Uh, you mentioned Haywood, like, that that is going to help. Uh, and I think that's an issue uh, in, a, in a pretty major way because Jokic is going to have that size advantage you mentioned earlier over Bam and all of those little, you know, little half hooks, all those little twisty shimmies, all the stuff he can do. If if you are letting him see the rim consistently, like he probably will be able to over Bam, I think that's pretty scary. Yeah. Um, but could have said the same about Giannis against the heat. Um, you know, I mean, this, it's difficult. Like, it's hard if we just, like, sit here and, like, X's and O's it to construct, sure. like, why the Heat should win this series. But, you know, game one might happen and Jimmy Butler's just, like, got a gritty 32 points and Gabe Vincent goes five of nine from three. And, you know, they're just, 
They've got a couple rip steals on Jokic, and Jokic is showing a little frustration. And, you know, Aaron Gordon maybe has like a disappearing game one, and like Jamal Murray has a five and 19 type game, and the Heat steal game one in Denver, right? right. Like, I'm not saying that's going to happen, but like th- that's the type of script that I feel like needs to happen for the Heat. And like, sure, it might. Like, I'm kind of done doubting them in a sense. And listen, to your point, you know, they they got through Philly last year in the playoffs in the second round. You know what I mean? Like, it's not as if they haven't faced uh, an elite all-time type of big before. This is where Spolstra matters, right? It's going to be swarming. It's going to be scheme. It's going to be, you know, different health. Like, the stuff that even as They had P.J. Tucker last time. I mean, P.J. Tucker would come in handy. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. Um, and, you know, maybe, look, you might be writing game one, game two, like, hey, look, they just have no answer. But there's they're going to do some quirky scheme stuff, I bet, that, right. that at least makes it interesting. Right, right. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service that you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Building a portfolio with Fidelity Basket Portfolios is kind of like making a sandwich. It's as simple as picking your stocks and ETFs, sort of like your meats and other topics, and managing it as one big, juicy investment. Mmm, now that's pretty good. Learn more at fidelity.com slash baskets. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, sir. Good stuff. I know we're all kind of focused on the finals. Uh, anything else about the league? Yeah, uh, I mean, let's just let's pivot to two things. I'd say the coach, you know, Nick Nurse is now the Sixers coach. That's pretty pretty vital. Um, Adrian Griffin got the Bucks job, and then I mean, we can we can end if you want on this backside. I mean, Bob Myers is doing a press conference at noon um, on Tuesday. Um, we'll see which way that goes, but obviously. There's been a kind of lean uh, that, that Bob Myers might step away from the Warriors, which would be a pretty pretty big bombshell across the league. Um, so there's a lot of, you know, leading into what will be transaction season, there is a lot of stuff going on with the other teams. The nurse one I'll, I'll hit on real quick. Uh, you know, it's, it's interesting because 
we got the looming question of whether or not James Harden's going to return. Uh, and I, you know, you have the connective tissue between Nick Nurse and Daryl Morey from their Houston days. Nick, of course, coached for the Rio Grande Valley Vipers and for years was seen as the heir apparent uh, in Houston. And then, you know, that just didn't end up happening. And that's essentially around the time that, that Kevin McHale had the job and then J.B. Bicker's uh, staff and Mike D'Antoni. And, and Nick, you know, had a, a long, successful championship tenure in Toronto. Uh, the The most important question to me, if the Sixers, and I do think they feel this way, believe that James Harden should still be part of their program going forward, is how does James see Nick Nurse? So that's the the number one question about that situation. In the Milwaukee scenario, you know, it's been reported uh, by multiple outlets, including Arsham Sharani at The Athletic, that Giannis Antetokounmpo had, had, you know, certainly let his voice be heard on that hire and was behind it. And so, you know, it seems like a, a very solid hire and the type of thing that we'll see how those bucks look different. Mike Budenholzer had an incredibly unique system defensively, um, some offensive flaws that were rightfully nitpicked throughout the years, but, you know, some pretty damn successful basketball and obviously that title a couple of years ago. Uh, so we'll see how Adrian fits in with Bob, the, you know, the, the top of mind thing for me is just, again, week by week, I got to get your pulse on it. You know, how do you feel about where this is going? Uh, what that press conference might entail? Yeah. Um, the, you know, he it's this is technically his exit interview, um, which you know Steve Kerr did it. They loot. I think they lost on what a Friday, Saturday. Gee, it feels so long ago at this point. Um, but Steve Kerr did his exit interview within forty eight hours. Um, Bob Myers still has not. Uh, you know, a couple weeks later, there was the combine. There was you know from the Warriors side, hey, there's some scheduling reasons why he can't. But it seemed also you know a little bit obvious that part of the reason Bob had not talked yet is because Bob had not made an official decision yet. He was taking some time away to, I'm sure, have important conversations he needed to um, tie up some loose ends and um, have a clear mind before he decided if he was staying with the Warriors or not. And the fact that he is officially having this press conference on a Tuesday, I would be surprised if he goes up on stage and it's like, I still haven't made the decision, but you know, pepper me with questions that I cannot answer at this point. Sure. I'd expect you're probably going to know, you know, very soon if Bob Myers is still leading the Warriors or not. Um, my sense and our the reporting we've had over the last couple of weeks, and really, you know, I mean, we can go back to midseason, right, when we did the big Bob Myers story then. Um, that there was kind of a, a lean and a tug from Bob Myers internally to to kind of depart from the job that he's held for so long and, and done so successfully for various reasons. I mean, we've we've reported some of the money stuff, the contract stuff that that's in play, but also, um, you know, obviously uh, just a burnout. Uh, possibility here and just, you know, family, all that that's mixed into it. So um, my sense, my, my expectation at this point is I think Bob Myers might leave the Warriors tomorrow. Um, and maybe people are waking up and hearing this and, and there has been some type of conversations over the last week, you know, with Steph Curry, with other major power players involved that have lured Bob Myers back into the building. The Warriors, Joe Lake, uh, uh, you know, and, and the ownership and front office group wants Bob Myers back. Um, but so it's always possible, but my sense is he's probably not going to be back. And that's pretty big. That is no question. All right. That's a heck of a cliffhanger. So we'll see what comes from that presser and uh, my parting thoughts, Mr. Slater, <laughs> this is in the category of like, you know, maybe a, 
hopefully at least a couple dozen people find this interesting and mildly entertaining. The first world problems of our industry and our career. Uh, this just kind of this is how my evening was spent, and I was definitely not alone at the athletic. When you are lucky enough to to have a job where they are willing to send you to the NBA Finals, I have never had a scenario like this one where you had to wait till Game Seven of you know one of the conference finals to be over to figure out which city you're going to because it was either going to be Games One and Two in Denver or Games One and Two in Boston, and uh, and so here I was and a lot of us were with our our, our you know dual track itineraries. Hotels in both cities, flights to both cities reserved, ready to roll, but also having to make sure that if you need to cancel, uh, you know, you're going to have to cancel one of them, that, that you can get fully refunded and and you're having to call hotels and negotiate with front desk folks to to, to try to get uh, the, you know them to listen to their better angels and help you out a little bit. So we got there. We know where we're going. It's Denver for one and two, Miami three and four, and, and we'll see if this thing will be a series. It, it should be fun, and, and, uh, and I look forward to talking about it. He's Sam's just hype. He's getting like a little Miami in in early June. That's that's a nice final city to get. I've never got Miami. See, I'm not even hype about that yet, brother. What I'm hype about as we sit here again, full transparency, 9 10 p.m. Pacific time. If it was Boston, uh, I was gonna be waking up at, at Odark 30, about 4 a.m. to take a 6 a.m. flight to Boston. So the evening got a little easier with uh, the revelation that I was headed to Denver first, a little bit closer for this guy who lives in Northern California. So that that 10.55 a.m. flight to Denver is suddenly looking very manageable. And like you said, from there, you know, I enjoy Denver. We'll, we'll do our thing out there, try to kick butt and provide fantastic coverage with our whole staff. And then uh, we'll, we'll head off to South Beach and, uh, and enjoy the sunshine. All right, I'm gonna be reading. All right, brother. Be good. Appreciate you. Talk to everybody next week.